Hey, good people. It's Dr. G, host of TSOB with Dr. G. And I've got a question for you. Have you become a TSOB insider yet? I know you're probably like, what is that? But let me tell you, in addition to this podcast, we have got a bunch of wonderful things on the way. Special events, uh, partnerships, classes, lots of different things that are coming up that we want to provide to those who are really on the TSOB team. And the only way to get on that team is to join the listserv. So when you get a chance, head over to www.subscribepage.com slash TSOB. And when you do that, you will be in the know. We won't spam you, I promise, but you will be first to find out about different events, like I said, that we've got coming up, as well as special discount codes that will come for all the other uh, particular projects that we're doing. So again, www.subscribepage.com slash TSOB so you can become an insider and we will look forward to seeing you there. Now, let's start the show. Welcome to TSOB with Dr. G, a podcast featuring intellectual table talk about race and sexuality. I'm your host, Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert, a sexuality educator, writer, and researcher. Join me as I talk with the most brilliant minds in human sexuality, applying a professional Black lens to discussions about sexiness, health, and healing in the new millennium. It's TSOB, the sex ed of Black folk. Let's get to the get down, shall we? Hello, hello, hello. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I, y'all know, every time I say, every time I start the episode, I say I'm excited. And this episode is no different because I'm talking to amazing people. Um, Today, I get to talk to David Wraith. And I'm super excited about that because, one, I just think the profession of sex ed is just loaded with so many awesome, amazing, dope people. And I also love it when I'm able to talk to folks um, who are masculine identified in our in our profession because that is also kind of a few few and far between and we'll get into that maybe a little bit but um i had the pleasure of meeting david Ooh, maybe what 2019 20, you know maybe it was 2019 because i was i met you at the woodhull sexual freedom summit as i was right. presenting on my research on uh racialization and the effects of uh, race on uh, black folks experiencing their sexuality and Ever since then, I've been following what you do and, you know, we've been able to connect. And so I'm just really happy to have you in this space. Um, I'm going to give him a chance to talk about himself. He gave me the shortest bio and I'm like, I don't know if that's because, you know, if, if that's a man thing or not. I don't know. I don't you know, I, I try not to assign things based on gender, but I was like, it's real funny to me that this is literally one sentence. Um, so I'm going to say the one sentence and then I'm going to get into it with David. Uh, so David Wraith is a writer, activist, sex educator and co-founder of Sex Positive St. Louis. Thank you. Welcome to the show, David. <laughs> Thank, thank you for having me. I'm happy. I'm, happy. I'm, I'm happy you're here. Um, I will also say while we met at a Sexual Freedom Summit, one of the reasons I also wanted you on the show is because I heard you on a podcast called, I think it's called Let's Talk, Bruh. And you were talking yeah. and that if you have a chance to follow that show, I'm not sure if they're doing new episodes, but I know I was listening and I heard the episode that you were on where you were talking about your 
some of the work you do. And I was just like, I got to have you on my first season of this show because I just felt like you were saying some really profound things. So um, why don't you go ahead and tell the people a little bit about yourself, but I'm going to do it the way I do it with all of my guests. So I'm going to give you my top three questions and then we'll go from there. So my top three questions, where are you from? Where are your people from? And what's got you thinking about sex and sexuality these days? Okay, where am I from? I'm from. I'm born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, my people are from the South, so like uh, Tennessee, Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, currently, most of my family, I would say, is in Chicago and Memphis. My family is outside of St. Louis. Um, and what what has me thinking about sex and sexuality right now? Oh man, honestly, I it's been a struggle to think about sex and sexuality in in COVID world. Yeah because I'm, I work, I work um, at a, a sex health agency and we do intake on people. You know, we'd have a survey that we uh, have people fill out before we like test them for different sexually transmitted infections. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that we ask is, you know, how many sex partners have you had in the last year? How many sex partners have you had? How many new sex partners have you had in the last two months? And I'm, I, self-identify as a free-range poly man whore like i'm (laughs) I'm out there like no no shame in the game i'm out there but covid has me basically monogamous like i'm i'm not seeing almost any of my uh outside of my fiance i've not seen most of my regular sex partners and i have not taken on any new sex partners since the epidemic And sometimes people come in and no, no shame. I don't slut shame. I don't judge anybody, but I see people come in and they're filling out their survey and they've had so many new sex partners. And, and, you know, we ask them how often they use condoms or barrier methods. And sometimes they'll say, you know, I've had so many new sex partners in the last two months and I use condoms 0% of the time. And I'm just shocked that people are out they're here real free. Throw- <laughs> throwing up throwing up lebron numbers in the middle of a global pandemic yeah and and normally and i i like i said i don't judge but like internally like mentally sometimes people will come in and they've had so many new sex partners and pre-covid in my brain i'm thinking okay go ahead (laughs) on you know live your best life and now i'm like what are you doing yeah yeah so i guess the thing that i'm thinking about right now with regard to sex and sexuality is how do we how do we have sex during the global pandemic and what's it gonna be like when this is over Mm -hmm. because i've already gone on record a few times on social media saying you know what when this pandemic is over i'm fucking everybody (laughs) like like it's a free-for-all like get ready it's gonna be the roaring 20s for real for real because like i i normally in in a given year i normally throw like uh two or three really big parties Mm -hmm. um typically now i personally don't typically throw sex parties i've done it but it's really not my thing Mm -hmm. um but i i throw clothing optional parties okay and and I throw what are called uh, CFNM parties, which is clothed female, naked male. So I throw parties where um, all the women are fully clothed and all the men are butt naked. Mm-hmm. And I, for me personally, I don't, I'm not huge on sex parties myself, although they're fine. But I like to throw parties that are very sexy where people can meet and mingle. And the, the biggest compliment for me is when I found out that, you know, somebody met at one of my parties and they went home and hooked up or they started dating. You know, couples met at one of my parties. Mm-hmm. And that's always great. Yeah. 
And, you know, part of me has been really happy to have this break because, you know, each party takes like six weeks to a month to put together and it's a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, it's been nice to just have a year off. But also, like, I'm really looking forward to, like, throwing parties and going to parties again. So yeah. a lot of what I'm thinking about with sex and sexuality is right now. It's like, oh, man, this is a really good idea. Oh, ooh, can't do that. Global pandemic. Right. Okay, write it down. <laughs> right. It's a global <laughs> pandemic, right? Or as some of the, the different comedians call it, the panorama, right? <laughs> the panini. The panorama. Yes. Um, yeah. Wow. There's... Uh, so there's so many different juicy bits that you just raised and I'm like, oh, let's get into that. However, as someone who is also whose people are also from Tennessee, I have to ask you questions because you were like, especially coming from St. Louis and, and right up that corridor, I-55, I-94. Where in Tennessee are your people from? Up uh, Memphis. Okay. Okay. So my people are from Ripley, which is right. Okay. Yeah. Right up north. And so I, I have lots of family in Memphis. And so I'm like, I was like, wait a minute, let me find out we were related. Or <laughs> 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 There's some type of overlap there. Um, that's why I asked that question. Cause it's like, there are so many connections that we all have to the South. And I think they also play a part in how we come to understand sexuality too, which we don't have to get into that, but I'm just thinking of that. Like, okay, okay. But we, but we can. <laughs> The South, the South, the South is big in kink because there's there's a whole in in good ways and bad. Yeah. Don't don't get it twisted. But yeah, like you know, as as coming from the BDSM world, like yeah, yeah. Like, um, Let, so let's you know. talk. Okay, so I what I, I I feel like we're gonna get there eventually. Talking about BDSM, talking about kink and all those juicy things. I want to find out first from you. How did you even get into sex ed, particularly from your lived experience as a man? As you know. From from that background. Um, so I had a I had a, a, a very sex positive upbringing, mm -hmm. although my my mother my late mother uh, I don't think the word sex positive would resonate with her at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I know the word feminism didn't resonate because I asked my mother, "Are you a feminist?" and she said, "Absolutely not." Mm -hmm. But my mother, who was very conservative in a lot of ways, was also very sex positive in ways that I don't know that she was fully aware of. And so I was the youngest of five kids. I have three sisters and, and a brother, but I grew up with my with two older sisters. My parents divorced when I was five and my grandmother lived next door. So it was me, two older sisters, my mom and my grandmother. Um, and like when my sisters would be would be talking about things like puberty and, and their periods and, and getting on birth control, you know, as a kid, I would always be like, wow, look at the time. I'm head out. <laughs> and my mom would say, no, you're going to sit here and you're going to listen to this. Mm. And so because my mom was a nurse and my one of my sisters, she's a social worker and she worked for Planned Parenthood. So I they wouldn't describe our household as sex positive, but I would. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm Gen X. I'm 47. I just hey. turned 47. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm part of this generation that for I think a lot of us, those people my age, we are old enough to remember a world pre-HIV, but a lot of us were not sexually active in a world pre-HIV. Mm -hmm. So the generation behind us, they've never experienced a world without HIV. Our parents' generation didn't really take it seriously, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. most of them were married and had kids before the epidemic. Mm -hmm. Whereas we had this transition of, we remember before HIV, but we came of age sexually during a epidemic. Mm -hmm. And that's what really got me interested in sexual education was, again, like, 
how do you have sex during a pandemic? Mm -hmm. And so when I was 18 years old, when I graduated high school, I joined ACT UP, uh, AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. Mm -hmm. I was the youngest member in the St. Louis chapter. And as far as I know, the only heterosexual member of the St. Louis chapter. But it was really uh, act getting started with AIDS activism at 18 years old was really my entrance into sex ed. And from ACT UP, I joined an organization called the St. Louis Effort for AIDS. Yeah. Um, from St. Louis Effort for AIDS, I joined a food outreach where I was actually delivering food to people living with HIV. Um, so this is all like undergrad, 18, 19, 20 years old. So from a very early age, I was involved with sex ed, but it was from a very, in my opinion, reactionary um, point of view. You know, it's, oh, there's a pandemic, we have to stop it. And then once the Bush administration started in 2000, I started working with Planned Parenthood and uh, NARAL, National Abortion Rights Action League. So again, it was this very reactionary, um, what do we do about unplanned parent, uh, unplanned uh, pregnancy? What do we do about this Republican administration that's restricting access? And so I got to a point where I realized that I was devoting my life to you know sex ed and sex activism, but it was all addressing the negatives, mm -hmm. not accentuating the positives to coin a phrase. Mm -hmm. And so that evolution went from we're fighting HIV, we're fighting uh, un uh, unwanted pregnancy, we're fighting attacks on abortion rights to what are, instead of fighting against, what are we fighting for? What about pleasure? What about sexual liberation? Yeah. So that's been my evolution over the past 20 or so years. Yes, yes. I love that so much. Yeah. Can you... Um... I'm, I'm just trying to imagine it, and I, I I identify as being part of Gen X, but I'm very much at the tail end. I'm I'm 41, so um, based on what I understand about that movement, or and, and that that it you know HIV at the time was absolutely affecting affecting Black and Brown poor folks, but that the main faces, particularly of organizations like ACT UP, that they were white. And so I'm curious about your experience as a Black man during that time, if race played a part at all in your experiences. Um, as someone who was serving the community and even just someone who was part of the movement? Well, part of my, um, part of my evolution was that I was very uncomfortable, not very uncomfortable. I was somewhat uncomfortable with ACT UP and that's not a judgment. Um, but as a black person and as a heterosexual person, I was, I was a, as a double minority within the minority that was ACT yeah. UP and ACT UP was very confrontational. And I wasn't as comfortable with that. I mean, now with Black Lives Matter, I'm more comfortable with confrontation. Mm -hmm. um, so part of my reasons for leaving ACT UP was I wanted something that was less political and more service oriented. And by the time I got to food outreach, all my clients were black. Mm -hmm. And it was really not until I got to food outreach that I realized how, you know, black queer men were being devastated by HIV at a much higher rate mm -hmm. than uh, white queer men. And so getting to, you know, going from being in an organization that was primarily political and mostly white to being in a position where I was m doing more service and all the people I was serving were, you know, black folks like me, mm -hmm. um, I, I was much more comfortable in that role. Um, I wasn't super conscious of any, like, discrimination in those spaces mm -hmm. i was very polyam pollyannish about race until you know maybe 15 years ago mm -hmm. to be 100 honest with mm -hmm. you um so i think i i was kind of naive 
in a lot of those spaces where now I would probably be more aware of, you know, the way that white supremacy infiltrates you know, activist spaces, even when you're dealing with primarily marginalized people yeah. who happen to be white. Yeah. And, and I appreciate you saying that because I think um, some of that, and you can correct me if that's not your experience. I also feel like some of that was a product of being in the Midwest, because I feel like I have that same story of, you know, prior to maybe 2004, you know, I was very clear that race was a thing, racism was a thing, but I was also of the mindset of like, listen, if you just think positive, if you just, you know, surround yourself with positive people, like I used to remember telling students that I worked with at the time, if you, you know, you fight every time someone calls you the N word, you'll be fighting for the rest of your life. So you just need to focus on your, you know, building yourself up and all these things. And I think there was kind of this attitude of like, we can love ourselves through this very clear <laughs> racism that was permeating everything that uh, we're living through I, I think with me my my naivete was really about activist spaces and marginalized people mm, mm -hmm. i you know i was very leery because because st louis is a very racially polarized mm -hmm. city absolutely and, and missouri is a very conservative state mm -hmm. but i felt like okay you know straight white um cisgender men um yeah you got to be you know on your toes around them but if a white man is gay or bi or HIV positive or a white trans person, like they're fine because they're marginalized and they get it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a very, um, it was a rude awakening. Yeah, I was, great point. I was uh, dating a young woman. This was back in like 94. Mm -hmm. And she had a, a best friend who, she was a bisexual. She had a best friend who was a white woman who was HIV positive and married to a black guy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and we would hang out. And then I found out that this white woman was like mad homophobic. And my little 19, 20 year old brain couldn't compute that this woman was in an interracial relationship. Mm -hmm. She was HIV positive herself, but she was homophobic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I really had to realize that marginalized people can can be bits. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Having a margin in one area does not take you off the hook for practicing oppression in another. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so tell me, you you talked about your journey leading up to Saint uh, Sex Positive St. Louis. Tell me how you got there and what and what that does now. Okay, so um, yeah, I was really sort of like trying to find a lane. For, for like a decade, as far as my, my activism, like I said, I went from, you know, Planned Parenthood, uh, NARAL, Planned Parenthood, I was doing like safer sex demos and like lesbian bars that did not go over well. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. Because sure I would, did. I would go anywhere, I would just show up anywhere, didn't care. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so in 2010, there was a woman in St. Louis, my, my really good friend, Kendra Holiday. she had a blog called The Beautiful Kind. Mm -hmm. That was a sexuality blog. And I was like, okay, I need to meet this person. We need to hook up. So I started networking and uh, in that community and became friends with Kendra. And then another uh, young woman, uh, Anna Bent, um, young black uh, bisexual woman, uh, had this idea for Sex Positive St. Louis. She recruited Kendra and Kendra recruited me. And it was just like, this is, this is perfect. This is exactly what I've been wanting to do for the past 10 years, mm -hmm. but just haven't had a team and couldn't do it myself. Mm -hmm. And so we started out primarily online. We started out as a blog and we would have some, we were having like in-person events kind of to promote the blog. Mm -hmm. 
And over time, it kind of, and we had a national following. Like I, I went to Boston in my 2011 or 2012 and like, literally like I, you know, I got off a plane in a city where I knew no one and people knew me from the sex positive St. Louis blog, mm-hmm. which is weird. Cause it's sex positive St. <laughs> Louis and people you famous. All over the country. Um, <laughs> but, um, as our local membership grew, we kind of switched our focus from online to in-person and so we started throwing a lot more events. So we have us, uh, we were pre-COVID, we were having like sex education events every month and private parties and happy hours and really just trying to create a space for adult sex ed and and socialization in an environment where you could talk about sex, mm-hmm. like, you know, things that you might not say to someone that you just met at a bar for fear of looking, you know, seeming really creepy you could have that conversation at our events, usually because everyone there is sort of self-identified as being sex positive mm-hmm. and especially our educational events, because we're kind of, we're kind of breaking the ice for you with whatever topic we're covering. You know, it's a lot easier to talk about polyamory or, or BDSM or nudism or whatever, if you're at an educational event around that topic right. and everyone is there for that. So really we want to educate people and we want to connect people around sex positivity. Yeah, I love that. I love that so, so much. Um, so then related to that, let me move into my next question. If you had to you know, define it, what would you say your sex ed superpower is? My sex ed superpower? Um, I have a few. Hey, break them down. Uh, Talk your shit. I mean, it's cool. I, I... <laughs> I, I feel like my 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 fields of, of expertise, for lack of my, my fields of experience, I should say, are are polyamory, um, nudism and body acceptance, mm-hmm. and and BDSM, and because these are topics that I have not just researched, but this has been my my life, yeah. my whole adult yeah, life, yeah, 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 really my whole life. Like I've always been this guy, even when I wasn't really old enough to practice uh-huh. were you were you the one who would as a toddler would run out streaking during thanksgiving and <laughs> doing those sorts of things no 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 i never did that i was actually worse i was the kid who would expose himself on the on the baseball field like, you know <laughs> oh, no. if i was if i was in the outfield and somebody hit a pop fly i would just like pull my pants down where everybody's eyes were on the ball and uh <laughs> oh, wow. okay Wow. So that actually brings me to something that you were saying when you were first talking about what you're thinking about related to sexuality, where I was like, I want to dig more into this. You were talking about how your parties are not sex parties, but they're parties that, you know, where people can be naked and they can, you know, explore that. Talk a little bit more about that, especially for the people who may think, how is that not a sex party? Well, it's, it's not a sex party in the sense that people aren't having sex on the premises. Okay. And and to be fair, well, to be to be totally honest, I have some trauma from from childhood mm. around people having sex in front of me without my consent. Gotcha. And I didn't realize it until we, you know, Sex Positive St. Louis through our first sex demo, and my my late wife, my wife at the time, uh, like my wife turned to speak to me and I literally had my shirt pulled over my head rather than watch people having sex in front of me. Yeah. And I learned a lot about myself in that process. Um, and so they're not, we have parties where people can have sex, but usually they're not the ones that I personally organize. Mm-hmm. And um, I did an interview 
on the newspaper a while ago and it got quoted in a, a, a book on, I can't remember the title, a book on nudism mm-hmm. of talking about the fact that, you know, there are people who say that, you know, nudism is all about sex. Mm-hmm. And then there are people that say, you know, nud- people in the nudist community say nudism is not about sex at all. And it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're both kind of <laughs> like, like people say that nudism is all about sex. It's, it's not, you know, if I just want to passively look at naked people for my own titillation, I can watch porn. I can go to a strip club and look at professional naked people and be safe and not have to be vulnerable and take my clothes off myself or even feel like that expectation is there. Um, But also people that say it's absolutely not about sex. Come on. Like, you know, coming from the fetish community, anything can be about sex. If, if leather can be about sex, if high heel shoes can be about sex, then, being surrounded by naked bodies can certainly be sexual, even if, you know, we are not having sex. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. And that's fine. That's, that's human. I feel like, you know, whether it's the nudist community and even to some extent, the, the gay community, which I mean, I can't speak for as a straight person, but there is this um, attitude that we have to desexualize who we are to be accepted in the mainstream Mm -hmm. or to be seen as safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, you know, heterosexual, straight, uh, cisgender people, they don't, they don't feel like, you know, who are in the mainstream in their sexuality, they don't feel like they have to desexualize themselves. Mm -hmm. It's only people that are marginalized for their sexuality feel like, okay, we have to let the world know that what we're doing is normal. We're just like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not all about sex, but it's not, not about sex. And so I don't, I don't know if that, illuminates that question. Well, I think I think all. it does. I think I think something else that I think about and and I'd love to hear if this is resonant for you where people what's coming up in my mind is the idea of it can be about sex but it doesn't have to be. Right? So I I think about especially when we talk about uh nudity in children and like people who have their children maybe not wearing clothes in different spaces and avenues and the sexualization of children and recognizing like no that it doesn't have to be that. Like I also think about chest feeding and people who feed um in public and the ways that people try to sexualize that and it's like well that person the the baby's eating, right? Like in the same way you don't eat with a cover on your head, this child should not have to eat on your head over your head. Yeah. So um I'm not sure if that's resonant for you, but that's something I also think about with the idea of nudity and Well I, I think it's our, our we we're terrified of sex and we're terrified of our own bodies. Well there's there's no other explanation can't deny for that. why yeah. uh public chest feeding is is controversial. Mm-hmm. I mean what does someone feeding their child have to do with you? And why is why is the commercial sexualization of uh, female bodies or assigned female at birth bodies okay, mm-hmm. but someone nourishing their child is offensive? Right. And and often for the same person, especially straight men. Mm-hmm. So I think it's 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 fear it's fear and also a desire for control, mm. a desire to control people's behavior and to make other people's behavior about you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, okay, this had nothing to do with you and you chose to insert yourself into it versus maybe even doing your own processing. Like, if it's making you uncomfortable, go do your own processing versus trying to change whatever it is that you're looking at. Yeah. So I'm curious, as you've uh, evolved in this new area of expertise, not new, but just this kind of evolved area of expertise for you, what do you feel like you come up against in terms of things that you feel like black folks maybe get wrong about your expertise or they may be opportunities to learn or ways that, you know, blackness intersects with your area of expertise. 
Well, I feel like black people, as a on on balance, we are very conservative in areas that aren't specifically tied to race. Mm. Like we can be very politically liberal and very progressive when it comes to you know economic issues and racial justice issues and things that particularly affect us as as black people. But when it comes specifically to things like sexuality, we can just be mad conservative at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I see a lot of pushback from the black community. And you know what? With BDSM, I get it. <laughs> um, totally get it. Uh, with polyamory. And black people tend to be pretty, in my, in my experience, pretty cool about body image. Mm-hmm. Black people, I think, more so than other races, particularly white people. Well, break that down for me a- because I, I, I would be surprised. I'm surprised about that idea. I'm not saying I disagree, but I'd love to hear your perspective more on that. Well, I mean, I feel like culturally there, I mean, black people body shame. Like I'm, I'm not going to say that we're, we're super evolved, mm-hmm. but I think much more so than white people, a wider range of body types are accepted in the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, we're all, we, we all about the thickness. Yes, and yes, yes, stuff. yes. Uh, so you know, it's 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 not perfect, but I do think it's it's better. It's something that I see less in the black community than in the white community. Gotcha. When it comes to polyamory, uh, black people can be mad conservative and 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 downright hostile. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's this weird and and this is something that's kind of universal across races, I think. But there's this weird acceptance of you know, cheating and the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole culture around, you know, think about that, that TLC song creep mm-hmm. and I'm showing my age, but you know, you can make a whole. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm showing whole... my age. Cause I was thinking, uh, Shirley Murdoch as we lay. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> going back. <laughs> going, going way back. But you could make a whole Spotify playlist yeah. just of like hit pop songs that, celebrate cheating and a whole other playlist about songs that are anti-cheating mm-hmm. but there's there's you know outside of prince i don't think you can there's not a whole lot of songs that i'm aware of that are about consensual non-monogamy mm-hmm. and so um i think because cheating is 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 old and there's this sort of value in keeping secrets i guess because we think that keeping by keeping secrets we don't hurt people mm-hmm. cheating is more acceptable than polyamory mm-hmm. and i see that a lot in the black community uh, i remember when i moved out after college i was moving out of my mom's house and the there was the couple that was helping me move was a, a, a eventually they got married they were a couple and my mom knew that i was dating the wife mm. and her husband is carrying my furniture and my mom is like david <laughs> how could you trick him like that? And I'm like, mom, he knows. (laughs) And she just couldn't wrap her head around the fact that his wife wasn't cheating on him, that he knew I was dating. Yeah. You know, and it's so funny to me that you say that because at the same time, I think very often about the concept of man sharing and how common that is also in our community, even though we wouldn't call that poly. We, we already have the infrastructures in place that support these sorts of non-traditional relationships, right? And, and I, think, um, I think about how uh, some of my mom's siblings are people that, you know, they're auntie, they're uncle to me, but I'm very clear that their mom and my mom's mom are different, you know? And, and it was just kind of understood that we're all still family. So it's just funny to me, because I think you're right. I think if it's, oh, cheating, then it's okay, we can do it and whatever. But it's like, we're just going to have an open 
like we're just gonna open this relationship up and we're just gonna be what we are then it's well i don't know i don't think that's a good idea (laughs) i I think we're more afraid of the conversation and and the endorsement of the behavior Mm. it's like it's okay as long as it's you know quiet is kept or as long as it seems like like you don't appreciate it or that you don't support it yeah yeah similar to like being being gay you know it's like a lot of people will tolerate you know gay people in their family and their community so long as it's it's an open secret. Yeah. Ooh, you know? that's a great point. And, that is a great point, right? It's that and especially if we bring the church in and we talk about the whole uh what is it hate the sin, love the sinner type stuff, right? It's the idea yeah. of like if I can if I'm coming out condemning it, then it's okay that I'm accepting it because I'm not yeah. showing that I'm in support of which is a whole other topic, but yeah, I th- oh, that yeah, I see that. I see that. Um it actually so now I'm curious if you think it's connected at all because it makes me think of the ways that just black people as a whole we tend to keep these barriers over airing our dirty laundry and we tend to try to keep these codes of silence around what we talk about and I don't know if you feel like that's related to that or if you feel like this is it's something else entirely I I think I think it's all related because and and you know not to not to be a bummer but you know the same thing applies to things like you know uh sexual assault and child Mm. molestation and you know all these things are going on and i feel like it's only been perhaps in my lifetime that there's been a cultural shift that we can process these things by talking about yeah. them rather than protecting ourselves by keeping them a secret that's a great point and putting up this veneer of you know perfect you know happy family when behind closed doors you're going through a lot of trauma that you're not able to process. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the people next door and the people down the street are going through similar trauma, but they think they're the only ones because everybody's keeping it a secret. That's it. That's facts. That's actually, yes, yes, that definitely makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Um, So speaking of that, right, speaking, well, not speaking of uh, trauma aspects, but speaking of kind of um, what happens when people are able to kind of take off the blinders and take off the veil and be able to share. Um, do you have stories from your experience? How, how, especially with black folks, how are black folks taking to the types of work that you do in terms of how it affects their lives? And what are, what are they saying about coming to a sex positive St. Louis event or one of your parties? Um, I mean, I, I think the, the feedback that I get is that it's, it's very liberating. Mm-hmm. And again, it's this idea that they thought they were the only one who felt this way, or they thought they were the only black person who felt this way. Mm -hmm. And particularly with black men who are, you know, kinky or poly or, or um, whatever is I get a lot of emails, especially since I did that. um, Let's talk for episode. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of emails from brothers who are like, you know, I didn't know there were other guys who felt like me, other heterosexual guys who felt like me, or other, you know, masculine identified people who felt like yeah. me. And that, that, you know, it's the same as, you know, seeing yourself in movies or seeing yourself on TV, like representation is so important. Yeah. I remember I was going to all these sexuality events where I would, out of 300 people, I would be the only black person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, in 2004, I went to a convention in Chicago and I, there was a, a black male presenter who was uh, into kink and a submissive. And it was just like meeting Yoda. Like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there are other black men like me in the world. Yeah. I'm not this anomaly. So I feel like through Sex Positive St. Louis and also I do, I do uh, 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 
people of color meet and greets like all across the country mm-hmm. at at sexuality con- uh, conferences and just because I mean, when i first started doing like traveling and doing sex ed you know there'd be like one black person in you know my sessions mm-hmm. in one session and then i'd go to the next session and there'd be one black person and they'd come up to me after and be like where are the black people at yeah and i was like oh god there was that one other black person that didn't get their name <laughs> right? i would put you guys together so i decided to start doing these meet and greets so the one black person in every individual workshop they could all be in the same room yeah. and realize that we could fill a room yeah like we're the minority in this predominantly white, you know, sexuality convention, but there's enough of us to fill a yeah. room and we could have gone through this whole weekend and not met and each not other known. and exchanged information. Absolutely. So just bringing uh, black people into the same room who have similar attitudes about sex and sexuality, I think it's, and giving them a space to express it, I think it's hugely liberating and it's just been a great way to network and meet other people and form community. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And especially when you talk about black men, I'm glad you brought that that particular angle in because again, as I said at the beginning, I feel like at least from a professional angle, so much of our profession seems to be femme identified female folks and and at the same time, I'm like, I know brothers are having the conversation. I know they have this interest. And it's like, how do we get them connected in ways that feel empowering? But I sometimes I feel that there's this blockage, right? Either it's homophobia of like, well, I don't want to be perceived as, you know, whatever. Um, or it's a sense of like potential, well, I might feel ashamed. What do you, you know, if you find out what I'm interested in, if you find out what I like, you know, is that going to make me vulnerable in ways that don't match up with the ma- the the sense of masculinity I want to have? And so how what specific messages or what specific ways do you engage black men um, in this conversation to get them more willing to open up and be more willing to to be honest about what they're interested in and what they like? Well, I think that I, I, tr- I try and there's there's a there's a lot of black men in, in St. Louis in particular, and some of whom I work with pretty closely who we try to model um, a different type of masculinity. Mm. Can you uh, say more about that? You know, just like, like, um, well, I feel like in our society, vulnerability has been feminized. Mm-hmm. And so women are expected to be vulnerable and men are not. Mm-hmm. And women, I think as a culture, are it's much more accepted for them to be in therapy or be in consciousness raising groups or, you know, support groups or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas men, there's this myth of the Superman and the myth of the black Superman where that's soft. Yeah. You know, you, you hard, you're, you do this all on your own. You just, you carry all this trauma on your back and you don't talk about it. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and, and you get to die. If you die without, you know, letting anyone see your true emotions, you win. And it's like, oh. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, yeah. So like we have, um, we have, I, I've had educational events that touch on, you know, masculinity. And I've participated in a lot of educational events uh, on, on black masculinity. I've got one coming up, I think in a, in a week or so. And basically just trying, and, and trying to show a range of black masculinity. Like it doesn't all have to be, you know, straight, heterosexual, uh, uh, cisgender black men, mm-hmm. but it also, it can't just be queer black men because unfortunately in our community i think they're very easy to dismiss you know i think there's a lot of attitudes like oh i was going to listen to what you had to say about masculinity but then i found out you were gay so obviously this doesn't apply to Mm -hmm. me so Mm -hmm. i think when when you know straight black men uh gay black men bisexual uh trans men uh, non-binary 
all get together mm -hmm. and express just all these different ways that you can be black and masculine and that it's okay and that we're public and we're visible and we're out. You know, the thing, the comment that I get the most is, you know, you're so brave, you're so brave. And it's like, mm, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. I'm just living my life publicly and trying not to care about what negative reaction I yeah, get. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and I think sometimes that's a misnomer in the sense of like, it's not about you being brave, but but at the same time, there's a there's a certain inspiration that you provide to the folks who feel like they can't do it because they don't want to be the only one or they see themselves as being the only one. So being able to see like, oh, okay, here's an example of how I can be. Or even folks who are like, I'd love to do this, but I'm not sure how, or I'd love to lean into this part of myself, but I'm not sure how because I don't have the model. There's some inspiration there. So it's not, I, I definitely hear what you're saying about, it's not about courage, it's about being and it's just about showing up and 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 how that makes a difference um sure but i, I want to now i want to have you think about so let's say somebody's listening and they're like okay david like i hear you i'm i'm with it like everything you're you're about like i, I love it i want to be down i don't know how to begin to even think about making my my life more sex positive or even kinky or poly or all of these things that you're so great at how do what advice would you give them for getting started on their sexual journey? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, the internet is your friend. Like um, there's, when I, when I got started in this, there, there was no, the internet was nowhere near what it is today and, and social media didn't exist. Mm -hmm. You know, I was answering, you know, ads in the back of newspaper, the classified section of Come newspapers. On. Newspapers, one of those. <laughs> call, <laughs> calling people from pay phones to get directions and like really sketchy stuff that in, in retrospect was kind of unsafe. Mm -hmm. Now we have the internet and the internet doesn't, guarantee safety but it makes it a lot easier to communicate with people and vet people before you meet them in real time mm -hmm. um you know there's a uh, uh, fetlife.com which is sort of like you know facebook for uh kinky people mm -hmm. is a great way to connect with your local community um there's lots of there's so many like polyamory uh podcasts mm -hmm. um polyamory weekly being i think one of the most popular and the longest running where you can literally they've done you know i think like 400 or 500 episodes you can go to the polyamory weekly website and literally like type in a polyamory related topic and in the search bar and it'll bring up every episode that touches on it so first of all it's very easy to educate yourself you know privately mm -hmm. and once the pandemic is over, I would just I would just say find your local community and become part of it. I think one thing that one way that predators kind of um, uh, uh, one advantage that predators have is that you know sexuality being so hush hush and so secret, mm -hmm. it's it makes it easier for them to isolate people. I would agree. And Absolutely. make people think that I'm I'm you know I'm this you know problematic guy because it's it's usually guys i mean mm -hmm. let's face it oh uh, i'm going to find you and you're interested in kink you're interested in poly i'm going to find you and and i'm going to be your yoda and i'm going to teach you what kink is and what polyamory is mm -hmm. but in this very sort of slanted way that allows me to take advantage of you because you don't know better mm -hmm. whereas it's harder to do that when you're part of a community 
where you're getting a lot of different perspectives and people can kind of pull you aside and be like, hey, mm-hmm. that guy I saw you talking to, mm, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I would say if you're if you're new, become part of a community and don't rush, like get to know people and let these relationships evolve organically. I feel like a lot of newbies, they was like, oh, I want to be in a in a three-way relationship by next week or, <laughs> you know, I read a book on BDSM and now I'm a dom and I'm going to start tying people right. up. And it's like, no, That's not how like, that works. <laughs> get to know people, build relationships, find a, find a mentor, like, you know, ease into it. It'll be there for the rest of your life. Yeah. You don't have to rush. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. I think that's great. And it actually makes me think of one other question that I want to pose for you. I know you spend a lot of time working with adults. And at the same time, um, what I know from the K-12 sphere is that there are increasing numbers of parents and folks with young folks who they're noticing are having interests, um, whether it's through web browser searches or through, you know, actual activity, they're having interest in kink. And so I'm curious what advice you might give for someone who's like, hey, I've got my kid seems to be interested in this and I'm not sure what to do. Like if you have any initial ideas or any any uh, encouragement or support you'd offer for those folks. Uh, first of all, don't panic. Like I I was, I knew I was kinky when I was five years old and mm. I hesitate to say that I turned out fine, but I turned out okay. <laughs> um, I know some people would look at me and be like, nah, you, you didn't turn out fine. Um, the second thing I would say is um, educate yourself. Uh, there's a website called Scarlet Teen, which mm-hmm. is like particularly aimed toward teen, like like age appropriate sex education for teenagers. Mm-hmm. But I think that adults can learn about how to talk to teenagers by looking at some of the material on the site. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, you know, talk to your kid. You know, and and maybe don't lead with you know, are you into BDSM? <laughs> right. But you know, just. <laughs> Talk to your kid about what they know about sex, how they feel about dating. Are they planning to date? You know, are they planning to become sexually active? Um, you know, my mom, on the one hand, was was very good with us as kids talking to us about sex. But then there were things that, you know, back in like, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, she wasn't comfortable with. Mm-hmm. My mom found handcuffs in my bedroom uh, when I was like 17. Okay. And she, and she hid them thinking that that would force me to come to her and have this conversation. And like years later, she's like, you know, I hit your handcuffs and you never asked me about it. And I was like, yeah, I didn't know they were gone because that wasn't my only set. So, <laughs> wow. And hopefully that doesn't freak out any of our listeners, but hopefully it also gets you to think, maybe I should talk and not do passive aggressive with my child. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would have been very easy for her to just say, uh, honey, I found these handcuffs in your bedroom yeah. and we could have had the car. When, when my father was remodeling my, my childhood bedroom mm-hmm. when I was in high school, there was a, a eye hook in the windowsill behind my bed, mm. which is where I would attach <laughs> the restraints. <laughs> and we're moving my bed because we're about to rip out the drywall. Yeah. And my dad goes, uh, son, what is that? And I have a, I had a rule as a kid where so I couldn't think of a good lie in five seconds. I just had to tell the right. truth. Right. Oh, I love and that. I said, <laughs> it had to be fast and it had to be convincing. Right. Otherwise, just come with the just truth because it's going to come out anyway. <laughs> now I just tell the truth, right. but as a teenager. And so my dad's like, son, what is that? And I go, that is where I attach the restraints when I'm tying people up before sex. <laughs> And my well. dad said, 
okay. And then we tore out the drywall. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, if, if, if you, if, if they're real, just like if there were signs that your kid was harming themselves or, mm-hmm. or using drugs or any behavior that you're concerned about, you know, just ask. Yeah. And and I would say don't, you know, back them into a corner and say, we have to talk about this right now. But say, hey, you know, I found these handcuffs in your bed. You know, maybe let's set a time and sit down and have a conversation and give them time to like, you know, get nervous, but also <laughs> think about their how they want to respond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure they're ready for the conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay, so I've got my rapid fire questions coming up in just a bit. But before we do that, I want to ask you my final kind of formal question, which is just thinking about your identity as a black sexuality educator in this particular moment in time in history. I'd love you to share on what you feel like your your role or your function or even, you know, I, wanna, I said legacy in another conversation and I think I kind of freaked the interviewee out. So I don't, I don't want to say legacy, but just thinking about what you feel like your purpose or your, your specific role is at this moment in time as a black sexuality educator, even your significance, if you want to say that. Um, I, I feel like my significance as a black sexuality educator, it's, it's tied up with my significance as a heterosexual sex educator and a cisgender male sexual educator is that I want to use my whatever privilege or authority comes from my various identities. I want to use that to reach other people like me who could use their privilege, you know, intentionally, unintentionally to harm other marginalized people. I love that. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's easy to dismiss for for black men straight black men it's easy to dismiss women it's easy to dismiss to a certain extent white people it's easy it's certainly easy to dismiss gay lesbian you know transgender non-binary folks um i feel like to the degree that it's harder for them to dismiss me because we share identity that's really important for me to model positive behaviors for them you can be a straight, black, heterosexual, cisgender, masculine presenting man. And it doesn't have to, and, and, and actively work to, you know, dismantle white supremacy, patriarchy, homophobia, transphobia in your life and in your community. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Because I think what I also hear you saying is that you can do that and it doesn't take anything away from who you are. No. Yeah. I think that's so important. But until until we have more role models for that i do think that a lot of straight men and and straight black men in particular are just going to assume without really trying to unpack it that these behaviors towards women and queer folks and trans folks is the norm and it's okay and that it's part of being a man Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i love that Okay, are you ready for my rapid fire questions? <sighs> ready as I'm ever going to be. <laughs> okay, and they're just sentence stems, but I'm going to give you the prompt and you're going to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Okay, try not to get in trouble. Okay, listen, it's a, it, you've already said a few things that I'm going to have to just put the E on, so it's all good. This is an adult show. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> all right, so the first prompt is sexiness is... Sexiness is, wow, sexiness is confidence. 
Love that. Yep, yep, yep. The sexiest thing about blackness and or black people is. The sexiest thing about blackness and or black people is our ability to endure. <laughs> come on. When you can when you can dance when you can dance underwater and not get wet. Ooh, come on with it. Come on with it. I see. I see what you're putting down. Yes, I'm picking it up. Yes. Um my go-to for feeling sexy is My go-to for feeling sexy is taking my clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I love it. It's simple. Like Well, my 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 friends know if they're coming if they're coming over to my house and they want me to wear clothes they need to specify it. And I love that. If someone's coming in my house for the first time, I will probably ask them, "Hey, do you need me to wear clothes?" Right. Or this, not? Is I'm this optional? Way, <laughs> let me know. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay. Sexual freedom for Black folk is achieved when. Ooh, sexual freedom for Black folk is achieved when. Ooh, God, that's, that's, that's tough. <laughs> uh, when we decolonize our minds and stop worrying about what white people will think of us. Ooh, come on, that last piece. Like, sometimes I think decolonization is one of those kind of loftier concepts that a lot of regular, regular folks don't like. I mean, don't quite get. But that stop worrying about what white people think. Listen. Ooh, listen, okay. And, and truthfully... <laughs> Stop worrying about what other black people think. Well, that's also fair. That's also fair. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> All right. Last one. When I'm done being on this podcast, I will. When I'm done being on this podcast, I will uh, probably take my clothes off. <laughs> I was going to say in my head, like, is it go get naked? Is that is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I got it in my head that this was going to be audio only. <laughs> Well, you and you know what it is. Like I, I have been trying to say I was gonna put the video on YouTube, but honestly, I'm a one woman show right now, and so the work of doing editing video, I'm like, nah. We'll say that when I can get a full production person to to make that happen. So it's just audio. <laughs> I, I am I am wearing pants though, because I was like, what if I have to like get up? For, <laughs> right, you know, so a demonstration of something. <laughs> And for, forget that you know. I get it. I get it. I appreciate that. I get, but but I would have also been okay with the negotiation prior to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so so much for being on this show with me, David. I have had such a wonderful time. Let the people know before you head out how they can find you, how they can learn more about Saint Positive Saint Louis. Um, I will say many of the, if not most of the references, including the Let's Let's Talk Bra episode, all of those links will be in the show notes. But if you want to share any other specific information about how people can find you, etc., please do. Real real quick before I go, Tracy, if if I may, yeah. I just want to shout you out because when I a big part of the reason I went to your your workshop at at Woodhull was you had a sign up that said this is a POC only space. Absolutely. And POC <laughs> only was like underlined three times, and I was like, I didn't know you could do that because <laughs> I host these these POC meet and greets all across the country, and and always and I say it's for people of color and their allied guests, which basically means white people can come if they have a person of color sponsor. Mm -hmm. And invariably, white people will come uh, uh, unaccompanied. Mm -hmm. And 
oftentimes try to contribute to the conversation. And I've never once said, wow, I'm really glad that white person just showed up at my event <laughs> unaccompanied and said something. It really added. Yeah. So I was like, I didn't know you could do that. So I was like, okay, I'm going. Yeah. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to shout well, that out. I appreciate out you saying that. I will say Woodhall, a shout out to Woodhall, because I do think that was a great example of allyship because Woodhall offered that as an option to folks who were presenting if they wanted to have a POC only space. And I think that's important because I, um, to the white folks who are listening, because I know they're always here, they're always lurking, um, that when you think about how to hold space for black and brown folks, it's acknowledging that sometimes we don't want to be around you. Sometimes we just need space to be by ourselves. And that that doesn't mean that you, you're a bad person. We just need this space to ourselves. So being able to, to offer that is so, so important. So I, I appreciate you coming to that space. And I'm so happy to have met you through that space because I just have been able to be connected with such an amazing mind. And, and again, I'm just happy that you were here. So... We're all done. We will talk to y'all next week. Uh, and that's all we got. So bye, y'all. Peace. You've been listening to TSOB with Dr. G, produced by Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert of Tembi and I. To keep up with all things TSOB, follow us on social media at TSOB The Podcast, which you can find on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For past episodes of the show, Visit TSOBpodcast.com or subscribe to the show either on YouTube or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Now, don't forget that you've got homework for this episode. To find the downloadable worksheet for this or any other episode of the show, head on over again to TSOBpodcast.com where you'll find it and any other important information from the show notes. And finally, do you have any questions or thoughts to share? Sound off by email at mailbox at tsobpodcast.com. Again, this was TSOB, the sex ed of black folk. Thank you for listening. Talk again soon. <laughs>